program is being done under protest. And in fact, the protest has been lodged with the proper authorities. And I just thought you had to know that uh, we are performing just as quite often uh, the Baltimore Orioles, or let's say the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. We are performing this game under protest. We will take it up with the league ahead uh, at the proper time. I can assure you there's going to be redress about this. I don't want to anybody that's so. That's enough, that's enough. I'm just taking a... No, 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 no. That's it. You do what I say. The following program is being performed under protest, and its use is... Uh, uh, its use uh, to entertain and to uh, uh, commercialize and to do all the other stuff is strictly forbidden by the league. You cannot charge admission to hear the Shepherd Show tonight. And uh, to those of you who are trying it, we're aware of this, and we're going to have our troops move in on you at any time. Now, uh, the one thing that I must make clear before we say, you know what day this is, don't you? You do. You think you do? If you do, you wouldn't have that dumb, gummy look on your face. What day is this? All right, Friday the 13th. I repeat, in case you missed it, uh, you wondered why it, it all hit the fan today, it's Friday the 13th. Now, I am not a superstitious man. Absolutely not. It's just that I uh, observe certain things and uh, certain actions and reactions, and one can only draw a logical conclusion from certain things. But I am certainly not a, a, a superstitious person, not at all. I mean, I, I long ago realized that walking under ladders is unbelievably silly. Not that uh, I'm superstitious, but uh, my Uncle Charles was hit on the head by a ladder one time walking under it. The whole thing collapsed, and that was the end of Charles for about a month. My Uncle Charles. Now, is this superstition? No. I just never walk under ladders, that's all. Well, I... You know, I, I did work with a guy once, though, who was fantastically superstitious. His name was Kelly. Kelly wore a straw hat, worked in a steel mill. And I, I worked in a steel mill, too, at the time. And being a kid, of course, uh, I didn't actually work in a steel mill. I fooled around in a steel mill. Uh, you know, you know there's, there's hardly anybody actually works in any given organization. There's just a lot of people that, you know, fool around. And, and uh, the only time they really show any, any real involvement is just about the time when the paychecks are handed out. Then they get all excited. Union meetings, they get excited about that, too. But actually, as to doing real work, in the outfit. Very few people actually keep any organization going. Has, hey, have you ever sat at your desk or fooled around where you are, you know, working, and thought, what would happen if by some miracle the organization finally decided that what it was going to do was really get rid of all the dead wood? It's going to only keep the guys that actually did the work. Oh, my God. <laughs> would that be terrible? <laughs> I mean, you know, really clear the decks. I'd say in the city of Manhattan, there would be about between 17 and 20 guys working. That's, that's what, what the, the general, uh, the general uh, considered uh, expert uh, consensus is, that there between 17 and 20 guys actually do the work in the city of Manhattan. All the rest, they're, you know, well, you know what you do. I mean, don't come around and tell me what, what are they doing. You know what they're doing. Most well, uh, nevertheless, so I couldn't actually honestly say I was working in the steel mill. I was just fooling around in the steel mill, see. 
And uh, this is how I learned about Friday the 13th. Now, I, again, I, I repeat, I am not a superstitious man. This is a, there is not a sentimental superstitious bone in my body. <laughs> and uh, it's just, uh, yeah, just uh, there are certain things one cannot ignore. Right? Right. Okay, right. And uh, one of them is it's just better not fool around with the 13th of Friday. And I don't know why is the fact. But I'll tell you what happened. Now, just, just this is a... Uh, you, you, you know, this is part of your edu- general education. Now, you, you take a, you take a guy walking around in school. What do you learn in school? Well, you learn about the War of the Roses. You learn about Silas Marner. Uh, you learn about uh, gerunds. I haven't wrestled a good gerund in years, but I really used to have a hell of a time with gerunds. I was really good on gerunds. And uh, by the way, speaking of gerunds, uh, I was driving uh, by some strange. Uh, Mis, uh, misguided uh, afternoon. I found myself driving in Jersey the other day, you know, in the countryside in Jersey. There's a little town, kind of like three bridges and little places like that. Oh, they got all kinds of tank towns over there that are buried in the weeds in Jersey. Well, I'm driving around in these tank towns and by George, I come across, there's about 500 old rattle trap cars in the yard of a house there, see. And uh, there are a lot of fat ladies sitting out on the porch and uh, sitting on a swing, and a lot of kids running around yelling and hollering and throwing rocks at passing cars and stuff. There's a tremendous crowd. It was Sunday. About 5,000 Jersey people had assembled there, and it was a family reunion. See, I drove past there. And I, there was a terrible urge for me to drive in, you know, and just say, Hello, I'm Clint from Kansas City. How are you, Clarence? You know, and of course, they'd automatically assume I'm their drunken uncle who finally came back. He changed a little bit, but after all, when you drink like that, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, here was a side. I, I, I drive, and I'm telling you, Jerry, you think I'm making this up. I was driving past. There's about 5,000 people. There's really, you know, they're really tacky-looking types. You know, big fat ladies eating potato salad and yelling at our kids throwing rocks at cars. You know, a couple of, you could see a couple of drunken uncles are laying under the porch. And so they, you know, they had a whole bunch of old 53 Ford uh, station wagons with obscene letters written on the side. There's a whole bunch of them gathered in there yelling and hollering. Well, I, I see the mailbox. You know, they had one of these mailboxes out on the street there. And it was a, it was a family, the Kalakak family. Well, you know, this is a family I studied when I was a kid. You ever study the Kalakaks? Well, then you missed the whole point of this thing. So that's uh, just as well. I'm glad you did. There's certain of us that will reach the rarefied point of, uh, of knowledge and apprehension about our world that the rest don't even suspect. That's fine. And you just, you just live like that. You don't know who the Calicacs are? Hmm. Well, they had a family reunion in Jersey the other day. And, uh, by George, that confirms something I thought about Jersey for years, but that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. But nevertheless, you know, you, there are certain things which you think are myths all of your life, which turn out not to be myths at all, but unbelievable realities. Like me running into the Kalakak family. And what do you think they did? They were walking around. They had webbed feet. And they were throwing rocks at the car. Just like, the, you know, what I had studied. Okay? So, you know, up to this point, you don't read this. You don't study this stuff in school. They, they, don't, they don't tell you. You imagine some teacher, well, how, what, a, what a great class would be. Some guy gets out in front of you. know, he, he has a class called Reality, say. Reality 1 and 2. And you have a lab. It's Saturday morning. You have a lab session in Reality. See, so... He gets out of the first day and says, Now, look, first thing I want to tell you guys, now, uh, don't confuse superstition with truth and fact. To begin with, look out for the 13th, Friday. 
I, I don't know why this is so so. Anybody got any questions? Well, of course, uh, nobody would. Being typical students, they sit there like lumps. Uh, you know, then five minutes later, yelling, oh, the class ain't relevant. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're not. You know, so, you know, six, what is relevant? You? Yeah, I suppose you think so. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a smart, you know what, kid. And before we get into this sickening, sordid tale of, uh, wasted education, blasted hopes and dreams, Please hit the money button. Please. Palisades yes, has a right. Palisades has a fun. If you're walking around out there scratching, friend, looking for something to do, I'd like to recommend. Come on, come on over. Let's bring it all together. Palisades from coast to coast. Wear a dime. Buy some most. Palisades amusement park. Swings all day and after now. All they got is... Ride the coaster. Get cool in the waves of the pool. You'll have fun. Fun, 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 fun. Very good. That's real good. That's uh, Palisades there that we're yelling about. And the season is getting along, friends. And this is your last year to go to Palisades Amusement Park. World's largest outdoor saltwater pool. They keep talking about that. Palisades. Over there in Jersey. Well, nevertheless, I will tell you the sickening tale. As uh, was not related to me by an old witch sitting at the top of a mountain with a cauldron there. Yeah, I'm relating it to you. That's just the way it is. Okay, I'm working in the mill. And Kelly worked out at the Salt Pickling Zinc Works. Now, the Salt Pickling Zinc Works was down at the other end of the tin mill. And this, it, believe me, if there was a place that was more like hell, I'd like to see it. I mean, the Salt Pickling Zinc Works had gr- gigantic pots. Actually, they were big tanks, tremendous things. They, they, they looked like little swimming pools, but they had high walls on them. They were about five, six feet high. They great big round things. And out of these pots came this fantastic miasma of hot acid. Now, when they, when they uh, anneal zinc, you know, they take this stuff, they dip it into an acid bath. And have you ever boiled, say, four or five gallons of uh, hydrochloric acid just boil it on the stove there. Well, you'd be surprised what kind of what kind of aromas that boiled hydrochloric acid makes, especially when you dip a few pieces of tin in it. It really makes a, a well, let's put it this way, a hell of a stink anyway. So Kelly was in charge of this department, had about 50 of these pots, and this stuff was going up and down, up and down. These machines were dipping these big sheets of metal into this stuff, and the entire atmosphere consisted of nothing but uh, steam, and out of the steam would come Kelly. And, yeah, he really looked like he was out of an Igmar Bergman movie. So, ah, you'd see Kelly. He was about six feet tall, maybe six feet six, something like a tall, skinny guy. And he weighed about 84 pounds because he had been boiled. All the lard and everything had been boiled off of him, see, by this hydrochloric acid that he worked in all of his life. And he had these, he would get these straw, you know, these cowboy-type straw hats, the summertime straw hats. He wore a cowboy hat, see. And he also wore a T-shirt white t-shirt and he wore blue jeans well the hydrochloric acid would burn the, the straw of this hat and gradually week by week every time i would see kelly his hat is getting smaller it would yeah it would work from the it would work the the rim you know the rim would get little and little and it's just the, the acid is eating it up see in the in the steam and his hat's getting holes in it 
Well, he also smoked these long, skinny cigars that looked like twigs. You ever seen those? You know, these, those Italian cigars that look like twigs. They had little leaves growing out of them and stuff, you know, little, little uh, brambles sticking out of the bottom. Little skinny cigars. Oh, what a fantastic smell. Now, I'm not, uh, I don't want you to misinterpret this. I'm just going to tell you, no, I better not. Not with the, you know, with the, with the people who are very sensitive. Let's put it this way. These cigars he referred to as stinkers. The first name was a G, and that was a racial slur on uh, one of our more honored ethnic groups. And that, nevertheless, that's what he, <laughs> that's what he smoked. So he called them that, see? So old Kelly comes, comes swirling out of the steam at me. And I would run through this, this department. I was working, you know, as I said, I was working in the mill at the time, actually fooling around. And uh, I would go through this department about once every couple of days. I'd run through there with a sack of mail. And uh, Kelly would get a letter every two days. And he would get a letter from some outfit called the, the uh, Yard Shipping Department. I don't know what he got this letter from. Maybe he had a chick out there. I don't know. But every couple of days he'd get this brown letter from the Yard Shipping Department. It would say, Kelly, pickling. Well, Kelly was pickling all the time down there. And Kelly, you see, because he could get away with it, see, because the fantastic smell in his department there with the smoke and the miasma and the, uh, the enormous clouds of steam. You couldn't even see the ceiling in this place. It's just filled with the steam. It's a, a tremendous aroma. So he would smoke these fantastic cigars, and he would drink this unbelievably bad wine out of a thermos bottle. It was cleverly painted to look like he was drinking chocolate milk, right? So he's supposed to be drinking chocolate milk on a job, and he's drinking this wine. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Well, you, you get with it, friend. Yes, you do, huh? That reminds me, speaking of not, not... This is WOR New York. Yes, sir. This is your New York Jets station. Brings you the bad news all the time. But uh, nevertheless, there I am, see? Every day I'm running through this place, and I'd see old Kelly. He'd come out, and Kelly would always say, How you doing? Yeah, yeah, it was his one line. How you doing, kid? He was always about three-quarters bag, and he was on top of it, man. He ran that department. Well, you know how the witches of Endor... You don't know what that is about, huh? Well, that's Shakespeare. Uh, and you know these three witches that hung over the pot and they hollered, boil, boil, toil, and toil. All right. They were on top of it. They knew what they were doing. They were involved in an esoteric pursuit, and they scared the living daylights out of everybody else around them. You've never seen a, a, uh, a nervous witch. There's no such thing as a... As a uh, yeah, it's an insecure witch because they're on top of it, see? They, they represent the force of evil. And since the forces of evil are, are so consistent and uh, are absolutely in demand at all times, there's no sense of insecurity when you're in the witch business. None at all. There's always a demand. And so that's the way it was with Kelly. Nobody wanted to work in that department. See, that department was like, you know, like applying for a job in uh, Hades, you know. You get a job uh, rowing a boat across the river there, see? I mean, you know, after all, there's not a lot of guys trying to get the uh, get Charybdis's job or Sharon or whoever. You know, the river sticks. He's got a kind Well, in a sense, he's got a monopoly. Let's face it this way. Uh, <laughs> he must have got it early in the game. So if you want to cross to the nether region, you got to see him. I mean, you don't take a circle cruise up the river sticks. A circle line, you know, not at all. So he's got it. Well, that's the way with Kelly. See, he had that department sewed up. There wasn't one guy within a... Oh, if anybody ever got assigned to that job. I remember they used to... In my department, see, when I, I my, well, my department, what a joke, it was a male boy, see. Well, uh, in my department, 
after you were a mailboy for about six or seven or eight months, and you really learned to plant, like the back of your hand. In fact, I didn't know the back of my hand very well, but I sure knew that plant, man. When you get to know the plant inside and out, see, then they transfer you to an actual place in the plant, like you want to get sent out to the number two stores, or, you know, someplace where you're going to work, like a basic training thing. Well, you could really scare the daylights out of a mailboy by saying, hey, I see Kelly's got his application, and he wants some guy to work down in a pickler with him. Woo! Everybody gets scared. So, <laughs> you know, that's like, uh, my God, you know, if you, if you ever draw that one, that's forget it. Well, Kelly loved it. Kelly would come out of that steam, seeing the smoke swirling around him. You could see his battered straw hat sort of hanging down in shreds. And his, his T-shirt had holes all over it, burned by the acid, see? His holes all over his T-shirt just hanging on him. He's very skinny. And he had these blue jeans that had holes with pockets falling off. And the rivets, you know, the rivets on, on the blue jeans were green from acid. Yeah, they're green, big blotches of green, see? And, and he had these he had these acid-proof shoes that he would wear. And these shoes were made out of something like asbestos or something. They had green stalactites growing out of them. And he would come walking out of the steam, smoking with that, that long, skinny twig. This pop of it. You couldn't even smell his cigars because of the smell in his place, see? And he's got his thermos jug with him that's painted to look like chocolate milk. See? Funny thing about that thermos, no matter how much he drank, the chocolate milk was always at the same level. So it was actually painted on the outside. See? Nobody knew it. So what he's doing, he's knocking down his cheap Italian wine. And he's swirling out of that. He'd say, how you doing, kid? And I'd run past it. Because, you know, whenever you run into evil, you don't want to sting it. You, know, you don't want to hang around too long. Because it ca- it's catching. You don't want to have it happen, you see. And so one day, out of the smoke and the swirl, out of, the, out of this fantastic miasma comes Kelly. And he had these wild eyes, eyeballs. Because the acid did it to him. Whatever the acid does to your system, his eyeballs would bulge out. And he, 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 really, he really was nothing but skin and bile and fantastic uh, on top of it. He was strong as a, just enormous like an ape. This guy was so skinny, and yet he could pick up gigantic cases of steel. And his, anybody who worked with uh, Kelly was always uh, in trouble because they never could keep up with him. See, he's really on top of it. So Kelly comes out of the swirling miasma one day, and I'm running through, see, I'm on top of it, and I'm really, you know, I'm really, uh, I dig this groovy scene around me, the, you know, the whole mill that I come running through with my bag, a little realizing, of course, that I'm about to meet Circe's, if not Circe's, at least Cassandra. Oh, man, I come, you know, I come running through the smoke, and I, 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 would, I would hold my breath when I ran through the pickling zinc place. I, I never would breathe for that whole place when I ran through that place. So I come running. My eyeballs were bulging because I'm not breathing. And out of the smoke comes Kelly. How are you, kid? I go, mm-hmm, you know. He's all right. Say, hey, kid, you know what day this is? Mm-hmm. So watch out, kid. You're going to get it today. Mm-hmm. So I go running through. I don't know what he said. T- he was always... Batty, you know, you never know what he was talking about half the time. Anyway, his brain was pickled, see, so you, you, you didn't listen to this guy. So I ran out, and I'm out in the fresh air now. <laughs> you know, I could still smell that HCL. Oh, he had all kinds of devil's brews. He used to sometimes cook with sulfuric acid, sometimes hydrochloric acid. He had all kinds of acids he used. And each one smelled, smelled worse than the one before, see, so... 
today was a hydrochloric day. Oh, get out there. Then I'm thinking, you know, what, what is that? that that's not talking about you. I'm going to get it today. So I, I finish my route. You know, I run around the route. And I get back to the, to, the, to the mail department. And old George, who's in charge of the mail boys, he worked, you know, he worked under Mr. Pitt. So I come running into the mail department there. And uh, George says, hey, hey, chef. I said, come on over here. I said, yeah, what do you want, George? He said, uh, he wants to talk to you. Well, he met the boss. See, the boss always, because, the, you know, a lot of guys wear their hat in a job they don't like. Have you ever noticed guys that, that wear their hat around the work? Well, see, as long as you wear your hat, you are under the illusion that it's temporary. You're about to leave. Well, this guy's been wearing his hat for something like 64 years. He's still in the same rotten department, see, and he always pretended he was any day now that the transfer to the main office was coming through, see. Well, I don't know, you know. So I come running into his office, and I got my mail sack. I found, oh, you know, what I do now? And he said, sit down. I said, yeah, what's up? You got a driver's license? I said, huh, what? Totally unexpected question. You got a driver's license? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, you know how to drive a Chevy? I said, yeah, yeah, I can drive any car. Which was true. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say how. I could do it, see. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, go out and talk to George. We're going to put you on the truck route today. Bum, ba dum, bum. Well, Fred, in the little, small, circumscribed world of the mail force, the truck route, well, that's like, that's like being elevated to pitch the first game of the World Series. It's it. There's no higher thing you can go for. Well, I go rushing out, saying, here's a bunch of mail boys. They're standing around. They're pitching mail into the slots. And uh, I go running out, see. And I, Freddie Roller, who's one of the mail boys, I say, hey, Fred. He says, what? What do you want? And he's pitching me. He said, come on, for crying out loud, this stuff is piling up. I said, oh, don't mess with me. He said, what do you mean? I said, I got the truck route this afternoon. You got the... Oh, God. You got... You... Well, of course, right away, discontent settled in strongly in the mail department. Why me? And I'll say, well... Little did I realize it was right. See, right away I says, well, what do you mean, why me? Because I'm the best guy around it, that's why. Why don't you know, why don't you face facts, you guy? And so I go, you know, I go stomping outside. And we had just gotten the pride of the mail department. Now, whenever you work in a department, in a great organization, they're, you know, they're assigned equipment. Now, that equipment, which you just look at and pay no attention to, is of very, very vital and prime importance to the people in that little world. So if you see some guy driving past with a bread truck, well, now, you don't even think about the truck. Well, let me tell you, this truck is the central fact of his existence. And that truck is probably the reason for endless haranguing because he didn't get a new truck and Aki did. How come Aki got assigned to the new truck? I've been driving that same truck. I've been here at this bread company now for 32 years. And they don't, I, every, I, every time I got a truck, what is it, a two-year-old truck, they give me the truck every time Aki's through with it. Okay. Now, that never occurs to you, does it? Well, let me tell you, this is the truth. Well, in our department, one of the last departments to ever get anything is the stationary, the mail department of any outfit, right? Who gets the first, well, sales department, the big department, say, executive department. Well, we had had a truck that could very well have been in any automotive museum. 
I mean, we had a truck that, uh, as a matter of fact, it was a, it was a collector's item, you see, by the time of this. An old, battered, rotten truck. And just the week before, we had had a sign to a beautiful, brand new, spanking, magnificent Chevrolet ton-and-a-half panel truck that was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was, it smelled new, green paint. And they had it painted in the company's colors, which was kind of a, a Ma Bell telephone green, and dark forest green, like British racing green. And on the side, they had this great big, you know, this was inland steel. They had this great big diamond in gold, big diamond on the side of it with a big gold leaf eye. The brand, beautiful. And on the, on the door, they had in stencils, in, in gold letters, this stationary department, express, on the bottom, which it was. Our beautiful truck. I hadn't even gotten in this truck. The truck had been brought in, and, and the boss had driven it around a couple of times. You know, it's a fantastic, beautiful new truck. They, and the, they hadn't even yet assigned it out to the actual route that it was to take. While they were still using the old tank, well, I get outside, and here's this beautiful truck. And George, who was in charge, old George, and he was like the uh, he was like the Gabby Hayes of of our department, old ancient George, you know, like an old family retainer. Yeah, he was always giving male boys advice, sage advice, you know, like, son, let me tell you, if you work hard, just if you keep your nose to the grindstone. He was, you know, he was always coining these new phrases. They, if you keep your nose to the grindstone, I want to tell you, kid, there's no telling how high you can go in this company. Of course, if he was any example, George had been in charge of the mail boys since roughly the time of the Civil War. And uh, obviously, he kept his nose to the grindstone. He didn't have any nose left from being on that grindstone. See? But he was always giving you these great words of advice. You're like, uh, you know, kid... And he saved us a penny earned. You think about that. Now, of course, George blew every cent he ever had on the horses. So his advice was, oh, you know, it was a big joke. Well, here's George standing out on the on the shipping platform we had outside of our little department, saying, and there sitting next to the shipping platform. That beautiful, spanking, shiny, green truck. Now, I was right at the age, 16, when anything to drive would get me so excited, just, you know, just be driving something. I loved this idea, you know, driving. And I had just gotten my full driver's license about six months before. In Indiana, you can get your full driver's license at 16. Now, in the Midwest, your driver's license in other more advanced societies is tantamount to say things like uh, your uh, baptism, uh, bar mitzvah, but getting a driver's license in the state of Indiana is a major event in a person's life, and it's often the subject that they, they often have a party on that time, you know, a cake, for example, with a reproduction of your driver's license on it, in icing, that kind of stuff. See, it's entering into the actual world. So I had just gotten my driver's license about six, seven months. I had no car of my own yet at this point, see, but I had plans, man. And uh, once in a while, I'd get the old man's Pontiac. That's about it, see. And George says, Chip, Chip. I told you, stick your nose to the grindstone. What do I always say? Keep your nose to the grindstone, and there's no telling how high you can go, right? Well, the boss tells me today 
You're going to take the truck out. It's only been out twice on a run. You're going to take the truck out on the truck route. Now, you know the route. You've been out it 50 times. You know the route. I said, yeah, that's right, George. I'm all excited. By the way, to get the truck. Yeah, I know the route. Now, you know the route, okay? Now, don't forget. Now, that's got an automatic transmission in it. You've got to be careful because it's new and it hasn't even been broken in yet. And they tell me that it's liable to get stuck, so be careful. And it's got a governor in it, right? Don't step on it too high. We're still breaking it in. It's only got 45 miles on it. Oh, a car with 45 miles. And they've loaded it up. See, it's got all the stuff in there. All the stuff I'm supposed to deliver. I'm going to go out on this, this road, see. By now, I have completely forgotten Kelly. I mean, Kelly is from an older, more sordid world that I once inhabited. It's a world that I have now, since I've grown, the chrysalis, you know, I've popped into the new world. Who needs Kelly, see? Well, I get into the truck. I sit down, beautiful leather seat, you know, the whole thing. They had this special naga hide upholstery that you can smell it. Oh, wow. Beautiful. I, you know, brand new General Motors Chevy truck key there. A whole bit. It had a big tag on it, you know. When you're driving an official vehicle, remember this. It comes with all kinds of special things that your car doesn't have, like big tags. See, it says Inland Steel Vehicle Number 422 6SJ7. Official vehicle. Special licensing. And that big thing on the key. And you had to have a special permission from the department head to drive it. And here I am. See, I've got this slip now. They gave me a slip of paper. When you drive inside of a mill like that, you have to have official authorization, like your own private mill driver's license. So I stick it in my wall. George says, no, forget, you got to keep that around. He says, if anybody stops you in a plant, show it to them. Have them call stationary here, right? Okay, George. Now, let's see, it's uh, 3.30? Uh, with a new truck, you should be back here by uh, no later than quarter after four. So I'll be watching for you quarter after four. Good luck. Started it. Oh, it smells good, and I can feel that motor under me, and I edged out into the plant. Now, in this steel mill, I might point out, nobody drove a car in that steel mill unless it was absolutely official. You could not drive your car through it. This was inside the plant. And they had tremendous moving cranes. And that. They would only entrust the driving of a vehicle inside the plant to somebody who knew the plant like the back of his hand and knew everything about the dangers that were inherent. But, well, I'd drive out on a big road heading towards the the Bessemer converters, and I make a big turn, I go past the cold strip, and I'm, boy, I'm on top of it. See, and I can see the lesser people walking around. I'm wearing this safety helmet, the whole bit, the goggles. I make a big turn around the number two open hearth, and this car is just driving. Beautiful, that brand-new sparkling steering wheel. Everything was so clean and shiny and bright out. Well, I pull up to the number two open hearth. That was my first stop. And immediately a guy comes out on the shipping. and says, gee, well, we got a new truck, huh? Yeah, come on, let's get this thing unloaded. I don't have a kind of mess with you. Oh, boy, that's great. Oh, well, hey, Archie, look at the new truck. And about three guys are standing looking at me. You don't see new vehicles like that often. See, the, the, the dust hadn't even settled on it yet. Now, in, in the steel mill, dust settles in the, like the first eight minutes on anything, say. So they unload the stuff, and I go cooling on down. Now I'm down to the sh tin mill shipping department. And I pull up outside the... Shipping dock. I beep the horn, see. Instantly, a guy comes. Whoo, wow. What do you want? I said, this is the stationary department. So where's that old truck? This is our new truck. We're expanding the department. Come on, son, get moving. 
I'm on top of that driver. Oh, yeah, here, yeah. come on, friend, let's go. And they're unloading the stuff. I don't scratch the door, you nuts. Watch it. So I drive on down to the coal strip. Well, I'm enjoying this thing. I'm cool along. It's a beautiful, sunny day. And incidentally, I'd like to give you a little warning, friends. It is on such days as this that disaster strikes. Disaster does not strike like it does in the evil movies. You know, the bad movies in the middle of a tremendous lightning storm with the trees falling down. Nah. Pearl Harbor was a beautiful, sunny Sunday. Just before Christmas. A beautiful day. Historically, evil always strikes when it is least expected. The sun shines. So I'm cool and warm. I take a look at my watch now. I'm really digging it. And I, I said, hey, George wants me to get back corner after corner. I'm, I'm enjoying it so much, see, that I'm not... My usual tack in the mill was to go as fast as I could, you know, to finish this route. But this is so much fun that I'm now about 15 minutes behind. Look at the watch. It's only close to 4 o'clock. See, you know, I got third of the route yet. I'm not going to make it. See. So, being a railboy, I knew every inch of this mill. Well, there's a regular route to take, you know, on these... In the, in the mill, big signs, danger, look out, watch out, no no entry, all that jazzy. But I knew everything. And when you get to know everything, you're liable to be in real trouble. Well, I knew that if you cut in between the 14-inch merchant mill, you got it, and the rail shop, there was a shortcut, which would make it so that you would cut off a whole, like a two-mile trip, all the way out to the yard scales and back. You just cut across. It's like cutting across a whole peninsula. Okay. So I come cooling around the end of the 14-inch merchant mill, and I turn right into this little narrow slot that goes right in between the 14-inch merchant mill and the rail shop. It is roughly, I would say this uh, slot is roughly 12 feet wide, two gigantic mills on either side, see? and splitting right down the middle of it is a railroad track, which uh, was rarely used. It was a spur for the 12-inch uh, the 12-inch roll shop, which was behind me, which had been shut down for like two years. This little railroad section. I pull in, and I'm going along, and all of a sudden, I can't believe it. I'm about three-quarters of the way through this dark tunnel. See, I'm making a cutoff. When around the corner, ding, 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 the biggest diesel engine I ever saw in my life. A big, gigantic, orange diesel engine. And he's got this thing, so he can't see anything. He's just making this turn into this little slot. It's going ding, 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 ding. They had this bell. Ding, 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 ding. Well, I try to put the truck in reverse. Oh, my God, he's coming right at me. So I put it up in reverse, and it's stuck. Just like George says, look, I'm going to turn it. I get it up. And I start to back up. Ding, 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 ding. And I see the head sticking out of the side of this thing, and all of a sudden, this engineer spots me. His eyes are as big as saucers. He's going about maybe 25 miles an hour. Well, you do not stop a diesel locomotive, friends, in five feet. Not when it's loaded with 16 million trillion tons of scrap metal. Ding, 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 ding. Boop! He blows the horn. I don't know what he thought I was going to do, you know. Boop! That horn was so loud, it powdered my hair right in the middle. Now, boop! And I'm trying to get in reverse. I'm frantic, see? And he's slowing up. Ee, ding, 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 ding. Well, the only thing I could try to do was to drive between the truck, you know, get the truck between the side of the train and the building. There was a slot that looked like about five feet wide right there. So I'd stick the car. Boom, boom, boom. Crash. I hear this grinding metal. And the train stopped. 
I am a tiny, thin tuna fish salad sandwich trapped between the side of the building, flat, and the side of the train. The truck, which had been conventional size, you know, when I took it out, had now a, a, a wheel span of about three and a half feet. And the thing was buckled up in the middle. See, I could see it buckled up all the way in the back. And I looked at the roof. The roof was now about 12 feet high above my head. I could look way up there. See, it was a tall, skinny. I now had an A-frame truck. The roof went straight up in a, in a V. And I could hear this engineer yelling. I could hear a lot of other guys yelling. And he starts to back the truck, the train away. Ding, 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 ding. And, of course, he's dragging me along with it. And somebody hollers, hey, cut it out. Hold it, hold it, Oscar, hold it. Hold it, Oscar, hold it. Bung, 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 bung. And I could feel the heat from the diesel engine now. There was a diesel engine sitting right about two and a half, three feet away from me, see? And it's just fantastic heat. Pour it in. And I'm thinking, you know, oh, I'm, I'm scared of it. Oh, my God. What, what are they going to say, George? Oh, what are they going to do it? Oh, the truck. Oh, no. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And, and then I hear, I hear a lot of sirens and stuff. And somebody pried the back of the door open, and I climb out over piles of mail. And I could see guys peering into the darkness with hats, not with goggles. And there is the engineer, and he has a big white hat with goggles on. He's, what the hell were you doing? He's, you know I've worked here for 35 years. I have not so much as scratched an engine. 35 years, I've got the silver safety medal. And now look at this. You've done it. <laughs> well, I'm just cutting through there. What do you mean, cutting through? Look at a sign up there. It says, do not enter. Yeah, well, I was waiting. Ah, oh, shut up. And he starts to drag. He gets back in the engine thing. He starts to drag my truck. Now I'm standing back. Bow, bing, bong. Wheels of bow, crash. Oh, God. I ask you, what do you do? Well, my first impulse was to disintegrate. Curl myself under the wheels of the diesel. And then I was, I was killed fighting this fantastic diesel which was trying to destroy George's truck. I thought that wasn't going to work. He's going backwards. So I walked down through the route that I had taken made a left-hand turn with about seven safety guys following me, writing stuff down, asking me what the hell I was doing in that place there, see, writing down numbers and stuff. Well, I figured, by now they must know, back at the department. And I walk, now I'm walking, see. I'm a walking man now. So I turn left, past the sheet now, and then I decide, you better call. So I go into the sheet mill shipping hall. Oh, I dial my number back at the back at the office. Seven three one. Is our extension. It is busy, which was a bad sign. We hardly ever got any phone calls. So, so I dial it again. It is busy. So now the guy in the sheet mill is getting a little bug. He says, "Come on." He said, "We got to use that phone. I got to call up for a heat record." 
Well, let me try once again. So I dial our number again. This time it works. I hear this click. And on comes my boss. Now, he was a very soft-spoken man who reminded me always. Curious, he had, a, he had a voice a little bit like, say, he reminded me of Eric Severide. Yeah. I hear it. I hear this click. Yeah, what do you want? Shepard. I hear his hand go over the thing, and I hear a yelling in the back. He's here, yeah! You know what he wants? Well, you know the truck. Yeah, I know! Get back here, run away! Get back here! (laughs) Get back, I said! Click. I was about three miles away. I had a walk. So I'm walking through the mill, my orange safety hat. And I walk past the end of the tin mill pickling works. I see the steam come out. Well, I cut through. See, because you can. You can make a shortcut, and you save like 20 minutes of walk. Cut through the tin mill instead of going around it. So I cut through, and out of the smoke and the steam comes Kelly. How are you, boy? And I'm walking through. How are you, boy? Today, you know what day this is, kid? Smoke and a steam rise. I said, yeah, I do, Kelly. <laughs> you know, I got a shot of hydrochloric acid down in my gut. He said, just be careful. Today, you're going to get it, kid. You know what day it is? And he disappears back into the steam. It was Friday the 13th. Ever since that day, I don't... I don't fool with destiny, Sam. The force bigger than all of us. And that's why this show was done under protest. I did this show under total protest. Probably halfway through it, the transmitter blew up. Probably never got on the air, which is just as well. Because you shouldn't be listening to anything like this on Friday the 13th either. And we're all in it together. Let's face it. Once in a while, in the dark fastnesses of my soul, I, I don't even, I don't, I'm not going to tell you what happened when I got back to the, to the office. You don't want to hear that. I'm sure you don't. I mean, there are kids listening. To, no, no, you don't want to hear that. All I can say is that I learned several important lessons that day. And one of them is never fool around with Cassandra. And one of them leaps out of the smoke, trailing ashes and flame, with wildly flashing eyes and says, do you know what day it is? And you say, yeah, Friday, ha ha. You better be sure of what you're laughing about. I'm not a suspicious man. I deal only in the pragmatic truth. All I know is what happened. That's all I know. (laughs) 